when you are desperate, you're willing to pick at any twig that anybody throws at you and says, hey, this is horrible. I could get you to a way better place. And, you know, these are women coming from less educated, somewhat remote, without a social support system, therefore willing to take that twig and believe that it's actually a big branch. An overlooked connection between trafficking in persons and gender-based violence in South Asia. Today on In Asia, from the Asia Foundation, I'm Tracy Yang. And I'm John Rieger. One can lure victims into brothels and across international borders. The other is often hidden in the home. But understanding their tangled relationship could be a powerful key to better detection, enforcement, and rehabilitation for victims. Joining us today is the Asia Foundation's country representative in India. Nandita Burua, part of the three-country team behind a new report on trafficking in persons and gender-based violence in South Asia. Nandita, welcome to InAsia. Thank you, Tracy, and it's a pleasure to be here today. So, Nandita, here's a major new report from the Asia Foundation looking at trafficking in persons and gender-based violence in India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. First of all, what prompted this big research effort? You know, the foundation and many of our partners across uh, South Asia have been working on anti-trafficking programs for years now. And while we have had a lot of success in many areas of addressing human trafficking, um, most of our programs, we felt, were not really addressing some of the core issues that are actually the push factor or that increase vulnerability of women, uh, men, young men, boys and girls to being trafficked. And when we dig deeper, we do realize that gender-based violence uh, of various forms and kind is really a critical push factor that makes people more vulnerable to being duped, to being abused, and to being trafficked. Uh, Unfortunately, there are two groups of uh, institutional players who work on both these sectors, and we don't necessarily seem to have connected the two as an essential area of collaboration. And that's what got us to start looking at Why was that? The report takes great pains to analyze what it calls the intersection of gender-based violence and trafficking in persons. Uh, What does that mean and what does that get us? So when we talk about intersection, I think what we wanted to really highlight is that when you intercept a person that you believe is being trafficked, you generally ask questions which pertain to the agency of that person in the movement. Did you move willingly? Do you know the person you're going with? Do you know what job you're going for? Do you have papers? Unfortunately, in many of the cases, the person is not going to give you the right answers, right? Because she believes that, oh, I am with somebody who's going to take me to a better future than I was in. So we felt that you also need to ask deeper questions. What was the situation at home that made you decide to go for this job? Were you facing any kind of violation at home? Are you moving because you had economic deprivation? The moment you start linking these two different sets of perspective, you are actually way better placed to see the correlation and say, I need to look deeper than the answers she is giving to me vis-a-vis her agency in this movement. That's the correlation that we have tried to establish saying, do not look just at that movement. Look at the push factors and you will be able to better identify victims on their way to being exploited. So push factors. What are some of the factors that make victims vulnerable to being trafficked? So uh, many. I think when we were doing interviews with the survivors, a large majority of them had either faced domestic abuse at home, were uh, victims of sexual violation by somebody that they know, were economically violated, single women 
who were put in a position of extreme vulnerability by their families who were not giving them their rightful dues in property or in income. Uh, young boys and girls who are being abused within the family physically, trying to run away. Men, young men and boys who have, again, same, same kind of trajectory. All of them believing the person who said, I can get you out of this mess. And so leaving when you're in desperate straits, why does that make you vulnerable to being trafficked? You know, when you are desperate, you're willing to pick at any twig that anybody throws at you and says, hey, this is horrible. I could get you to a way better place. We've had cases where a woman said somebody told her and she was being, you know, violated, abused, beaten up. And a person who came up to her and said, oh, wait a minute, I could take you to Delhi and I could actually give you a job where you don't have to do anything. You just have to water some plants in somebody's house and they'll give you food and shelter. And, you know, these are women coming from less educated, somewhat remote, without a social support system, therefore willing to take that twig and believe that it's actually a big branch. So, Nandita, both gender-based violence and trafficking in persons have been and continue to be against the law throughout your study area in South Asia. But the report suggests there are structural problems with the whole approach to these crimes. Can you explain that? So I think with trafficking, like I said, the structural biggest structural problem is identification. So that's why we have created what is called a checklist. It, it's a simple, straightforward checklist uh, for identifying victims of trafficking with the intersectional lens of gender-based violence. When you see any women or men and young boys in this situation, here is what you need to ask them. How many people were there in your family? Did you have working members in your family? Were you earning? Does your family know you have left? While you are in your family, did you face any violence? Are you married? Do you, you know, do you have children? So these are the push factors. These are the push factors that people who are looking at trafficking don't tend to ask unless you say you need to start asking these. And that story actually helps you unravel the past from which the person is trying to move away. Well, the, 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 what you're suggesting seems remarkably simple. I, I mean, uh, I, obviously, some of the most important discoveries turn out to be simple in retrospect. But to inquire about the conditions that the person is, is leaving seems to be extremely fundamental. Yes. I mean, frankly, right, you're saying it's nothing rocket science. It should have been obvious to all of us who are working in the sector. But somehow, I think our lens of addressing these two as separate issues kind of made us work in silos instead of as a part of an integral whole. So clearly, South Asia has been wrestling with this problem for some time. Where would you like to see this report take South Asia next? I think uh, we've done a couple of things, uh, John. One, of course, the research itself, which is trying to make a case for understanding the interlink between gender-based violence and trafficking as an integrated whole, yeah? And therefore, using that lens at every level of, you know, anti-trafficking programs, whether it is interception, identification, rehabilitation, reintegration. Secondly, I think some of these kind of training, a lot of it has been given by civil society. We feel very strongly that these need to be embedded in the formal training institutions of the state who are authorized to deal with these crimes. So we've had a great success with the Madhya Pradesh uh, Bhopal Police Training Academy, for example, in India. And they have agreed to adopt this and they've already started providing the training as a, as a part of their core training in the academy. Well, let's go back to civil society. 
Your report says that having separate services for trafficking victims and abuse victims is wasting resources. Do these agencies also need a new way of looking at things? You know, we've we've found responses when we ask them, do you think services should be integrated? Um, it's been mixed, right? Many civil societies, some have said, oh, yes, it's a great idea. We never thought of it. Others have said, well, it's going to be very difficult because, you know, I can't bring a trafficked woman into my shelter home where I'm keeping gender-based violence because the gender-based violence women won't like it. Because those women are also caught in the same patriarchy of stigma, judgment against different forms of violation. I think it's like this, right? Uh, Domestic violence is something most within patriarchy, everybody says, oh yeah, it's a violation that is happening at home. Maybe your mother-in-law, maybe your father, brother, husband is beating you up or, you know, is being abusive towards you. And so those women try get out, escape, seek help, and get into a shelter home. Simultaneously, another woman who is probably facing the same violation ends up in a brothel as a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there is a stigma about her. Oh my God, she's come from the brothel. She's a sex worker. We don't want to be seen with her. We don't want her in our space. And that is something that most NGOs actually did articulate and felt that it's very hard to address this in shelter situations. So we sometimes prefer to keep these services different. And unless you address this head on and say, these are my biases, I need to address this within my service center, within myself and within the people I work with. I don't think we are doing justice to gender-based violence and women. Suddenly you've got a much bigger project here. (laughs) Nandita Barua, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. That's our show for this week. The report is Optimizing Screening and Support Services for Gender-Based Violence and Trafficking in Persons Victims. And you can find a link and read more about it in this week's blog post by Shruti Patil, a member of the team in India. And if you're enjoying the In Asia podcast, you can subscribe wherever fine podcasts like ours are offered to be subscribed to. Go ahead. Until next time, I'm Tracy Young. And I'm John Rieger. Thanks for listening. Thank you.